You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Well, good morning, everybody. So you may have noticed we got lights up on the building. And it look good. I love like just I love all the lights. I love Christmas. I love the decorations in the hallway. Our students who helped. I love our team who put this together. I feel like a big snowed on every Sunday. It's great. Like I just love. Like I love it. Like my kids are the ones who are like it's time to get the Christmas tree done. They're like yeah. Like let's decorate. Like my my two of my kids gave up iPad time to help wrap presents. Like I just just something about this time of the year. I'm like how do we keep it going? Like like don't let it die, please. Well, maybe you're feeling the same way. So uh, you'll notice when you walk outside these doors that we have these little uh, wallet-sized cards here. These are just invitation cards. They have a little manger on the front. It just says Christmas at Kingsway. December 24th, Christmas Eve, we do a service every year, 135, identical services, an hour each. So there's a little bit of a break, right? Clear the parking lot, get the next group in. Our Christmas Eve services, you've never been here, they're a lot of fun. We just make them very engaging. They're for the whole family. So go ahead and bring your kiddos and stuff in here. And uh, yeah, it's a little bit of a zoo and it's awesome. And we love it because we love kids, right? And uh, so we just wanna encourage you to come, but we also encourage you to use these to invite your family, your friends, just be bold. Like, what's the worst that could happen? I heard of a guy, um, it, it was in a different community, but somebody had just moved into the community, and it was actually in Georgia, and they said, hey, I don't know if you know this or not, but like everybody in Georgia goes to church, and you know, it's Christmas, so you, you should come with me this Sunday. And I was like, that is such a great lead. It's just like, well, everybody's doing it. You know, like, just take a card, be like, hey, it's Christmas. You're probably, you know, it's the only time of the year you're probably gonna come anyway. Just come, have a great time with us. Why not? Kingsway, one, three, five. So you take these, hand them out. And also, we need lots of people to serve. Because we anticipate, it's our highest attended Sunday of the year, or I guess Christmas Eve, it's Sunday this year, it's Monday. But it's either that or Easter, it's always a toss-up, which is bigger. We're going to have thousands and thousands of people, more than normal. So we're encouraging you to just serve at one service and attend one service. So you can do one and three, three and five. You can do one and five if you're crazy, uh, whatever you want. But would you just talk to your family? And if you already serve here in kids ministry or greeting, whatever, would you go to your leader and just say, hey, um, I'm gonna serve and here's when I'm gonna serve. We really need families to step up. So send somebody home with the kids if you need to. Grab your kids, maybe you could greet at the door. But if you wanna serve, you can. Uh, you gotta text SERVE, S-E-R-V-E, SERVE to 317-565-4911. If you're around here very long, you're gonna hear that number a lot. 317-565-4911, just text SERVE. It'll send you a form, you can fill it up. Or you can go right outside these doors to that little pallet-looking thing. It's our um, next to the Connect uh, hub there. And just go there, and you can say, hey, I want to serve. We'll plug in. All right. Let's pray and jump into week two of Advent, Luke chapter one. Let's recenter our heart on Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, I know you need to speak today. Because, God, uh, I have been encouraged by today's message. I, uh, I've already had conversations in the hallway from people who I know need this message Lord, may your words do that thing only your words could do. May it take care of itself. God, would you prepare our hearts now, even those who are visiting because it's Christmas time and they're not even sure what, what, what they make of you yet. They aren't sure they could trust you yet. Today, God, would you anchor their soul in you? God, speak powerfully now as we receive your words in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. All right, so have you ever wondered why the story of Jesus is so important. Maybe you've wondered. So it's this time of the year, articles come out, and there's always little snippets in the news or wherever. And depending on the person who wrote the article or made the, the little media clips bent, if they have some sort of religious 
spiritual background might dictate the flavor of that thing that you're seeing, reading, or watching. But it seems like at this time of the year, everybody's talking and writing about where did Christmas really come from? So let me just go ahead and dispel a few myths very quickly as we get into some non-myths throughout today's message. Number one, we don't know if Jesus was actually born at all this time of the year, let alone on December the 25th. There are strong historical reasons to believe that it is absolutely possible, but that doesn't mean it happened. And it changes nothing about your faith if it turns out Jesus was born January the 4th or April the 4th or August the 19th when all God, godly people were born, because that's my birthday. So just you know, get that in your head. You know, Facebook will remind you. All presents go to, I'm just kidding. So The biggest thing is not whether it's literal or not. So again, certain articles and and whatever media stuff will say, certain ones will say, you know, this this is Christians tried to take a a holiday for the Norse gods or the Viking gods or Thor or whoever, and they tried to turn it and make it about Christianity. I don't know. I mean, there's some reasons to believe maybe, there's some reasons to believe maybe not. It's irrelevant. The story is true regardless of exactly when it happened. So why is the story of Jesus so important? I don't know if you know this or not, but it actually comes out right in the beginning of the story itself. In the book of Luke, chapter one, go ahead and turn there with me. Luke chapter one, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Now stop for a second. For those who missed last week, we are walking through the book of Luke. And it won't matter if you're here every single week. If you ever miss something, we'll bring you up to speed. So don't stress about it. But if you want to go back, you'll get a little more than what you were hoping for. (laughs) So last week, we looked at Zechariah and Elizabeth. That's the Elizabeth referred to here. They were an older couple who were unable to have children. And God sent Gabriel, same angel, to talk to them to say You are going to be pregnant, even though nobody thought it was possible. Now, what we just learned is Elizabeth and Mary are related to each other. So now Gabriel is on a new mission, and he's going to this, let's keep reading, verse 27. To a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, why is this important? Well, there's so much in here. As I said last week, Luke is great at saying a lot in a little space. I'm great at saying a lot in a lot of space, or a little in a lot of space, depending on which Sunday we're talking about. So what's going on here? Number one, well, she's a virgin. And why is that important? Well, she's betrothed to be married to a guy named Joseph. Betrothal is different than engagement. It's similar, but there are some significant differences. So in an engagement in America, this is like the couple's been dating. It could be three months. It could be 30 years. Some of you are like, I know, right? It's time. Let's do this thing. But sooner or later, all the ladies are going like, he's talking to you. So in America, we date an engagement can be either a short, like my wife and I did a very short engagement, three-month process, just long enough to plan a wedding and barely survive uh, to get to the wedding day. And some people do very long process so they can plan and save and do all these other things. Well, in this culture, the engagement period was called the betrothal period. And it was basically, you were married without the perks of marriage, except for maybe the occasional fight. So see, in America, engagement is like, we start practicing marriage way too soon, and sometimes it's like my last chance to change my mind. That wasn't how it was a first century Palestine. 
Once we were in the betrothal period, you and I were as good as married. It's just that we weren't sharing a home and we weren't being intimate yet. There's very strict rules about purity, who could do what, who could be what, and until you're married, there was nothing like that going on at all, which is why the text stresses over and over and over again that Mary is a virgin. This baby that's coming is going to be a miracle. And you may be thinking to yourself, because I would be thinking this, Also, if I have not yet decided that I trust God, if I've not yet weighed the evidence on Jesus, I would be wrestling with, how in the world, pastor, am I supposed to believe that a virgin gets pregnant? I've heard of teenage girls trying this excuse before. Like, we all know how it works. Let's be honest. First century people aren't dumb. They know how it works too. This baby is going to be a miracle. Oh, come on. Do you really believe that? Yes, I do. But there's reasons why I believe it. So the angel shows up, and it says, Greeting, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Now, we've already been anchored by Luke and the fact that this young girl, I mean, she's probably 15, 16, could be up to 22, 23, but she's probably somewhere in between there. This young girl is descendant of David. That is no accident by Luke in the text. Luke is dropping a clue for you as to what is going on. Now notice, verse 29. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Why is she troubled? Well, first of all, if an angel ever shows up and decides to talk to you, that's troubling. So like every angel even knows, like, do not be afraid. Like apparently it's a terrifying moment. And I get it. The angel, angel, Mary actually kind of composes herself. She has a somewhat normal conversation in the middle of this. Mary seems to be okay in the moment. But there's something about her that goes, what in the world is going on right now? Now, why would she be wondering that? Well, the book of Hebrews, which is later in the New Testament, tells us that in the past, God spoke at many times and in many ways. So for those of you who don't know this, see, the way that God tended to speak in the past was sometimes he'd send an angel and an angel would communicate. Sometimes he would send signs or wonders. Sometimes um, he would literally send something like Moses with the law. He would give the Ten Commandments. And then later, the books are like Deuteronomy and Leviticus. There were all kinds of ways that God spoke and communicated. And there were signs and symbols. There could be things like the plagues in Egypt, or there were things like uh, the, the lamb, the sacrificial lamb of the Exodus and the Passover. And so it was this constant message. But here's the thing. All of these things pointed to one specific moment in time. Or more specifically, all these things pointed to one specific person. And one of the ways, major ways, that God communicated in the Old Testament when we wanted to say something was through what we would call a prophet. Now, a prophet literally is somebody who hears from God and communicates the word of God on behalf of God. That's all a prophet does. Sometimes a prophet speaks and they do what we call predictive prophecy. Predictive prophecy is when the person hears from God and tells you something that's going to happen in the future. The future could be tomorrow. The future could be later today. The future could be a year from now. The future could be a thousand years from now. It's somewhere in the future. It didn't happen. It's not history. That's the difference. It's future. And these prophets, when they do that, they do something. We know this, right? It's called prophecy. Now, what's interesting is 
Israel and Mary's day has not had a prophecy or a prophet even in over 450 years. The longest gap up to that point, if I'm not mistaken, it's a massive gap. Generations have come and gone. Cubs fans, you know what this feels like. (laughs) Entire groups have come and gone and not heard a word from the Lord. Nothing. Until one day, they play the Indians. (laughs) Figures. And Gabriel shows up and says, greetings, you who are highly favored. The last book we record in the Old Testament is probably not the last in order, but it's Malachi, and it's basically 450 years. 450 years. Now, we have some historical writings and some things that happened in that dark period where there's nothing speaking, where we can see God moving. We can look at history. When you look at Rome and you look at when Jesus showed up and and Rome is like conquering ancient Palestine, man, Rome is the perfect place for Jesus to come and accomplish all that God has set out for him to accomplish. In fact, I think it's in Galatians, Paul writes, in the fullness of time, Jesus showed up. And the fullness, when everything was right on the stage, Jesus showed up. God was clearly orchestrating, but he wasn't speaking. He was silent. And you know what that feels like, don't you? Those periods of life where it appears that God is silent. And Mary ponders in her heart, what kind of greeting is this? She comes from Nazareth in the area of Galilee. It's a podunk nowhere on the map. I mean, this would be like in Indiana, I'm not gonna, I don't dare name a place. I'm no fool. But you have a place in your mind this reminds you of, don't you? It's nowhere. And by the way, they're very poor. We find later in the text, um, a couple chapters later, they make a sacrifice. And we know by the sacrifice they make, it means they have no money. Because God made an allowance, regardless whether you had a lot or had a little, there was always a chance for you to engage with God in worship. And they don't have anything. They're a young couple with no resources from a small town in the middle of nowhere, and they are oppressed by the Romans, and they haven't heard from God in 450 plus years, and now an angel shows up? Who am I that God should even care about me? But he does. And the angel says, Luke 1, verse 30, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. It's like the sandlot, forever. Only people in their mid-30s and up know what I'm talking about. Anyway. And his kingdom will never end. Mary, this should terrify you. You are betrothed, meaning you are basically as good as married. Mary, you are pure, meaning you've never had intimacy before, but you're going to be pregnant. This would have been absolutely terrifying because in that culture, not only would she have been publicly shamed, you thought Elizabeth had it bad, being an older lady, couldn't get pregnant, God blew her away. No, this is even bigger than that because not only will you be mocked, you could literally be put on public display and ashamed. You could literally, by some estimates, be stoned to death. That's why when Joseph finds out, we find this in the book of Matthew, Joseph finds out 
that she's pregnant, he decides, look, I know how this works. She's been unfaithful to me. But because he's a good man, instead of divorcing her and realizing what shame it could cause her or possibly even pain or death, he decides he's just gonna do it quietly and not make a big stink about it and move on with his life. And that's when an angel is sent to him and he's like, whoa, chill out, dude, this is from God. And he's like, what? So it's like, (laughs) it's in the Greek. Anyway. I don't know where it comes from, all right? Anyway. But what the angel says to Mary is crucial. The angel is anchoring Mary's heart to predictive prophecy. Why? Because in prophecy, God reveals who he is, what he's like, and what he intends to do in the world. Who he is, what he's like, and what he intends to do in the world. Those are the things we see fulfilled in prophecy. So why is this such an important pronouncement? Let's take a look at just a couple of those prophecies, if you will. So in 2 Samuel chapter 7, if you have a Bible, if not, I'll put it on the screen. Don't worry about it. God sends a prophet. His name is Nathan, and he sends him to a guy named King David. So for those of you who don't know Bible history, Israel cried out and wanted a king, and God finally relented and gave them a king, and the first king was named Saul. But Saul refused to follow God and instead was more worried about making other people happy with his life and his actions. You read Saul's story, it's tragic because he's always so concerned about what everybody else thinks and he's not concerned about what God thinks. So God finally removes Saul because Saul is not pleasing to the Lord and he raises up a young boy about Mary's age, probably in the 15, 16 range, and says, I'm going to make you a king one day. But David's not ready yet, so God leads David on a number of journeys in order to raise up David's leadership skills so that he'll be fit to be king when the time has come. And when David is finally king, God says, David is a man after my own heart. He loves me. He's faithful to me. Now, we know David is not fully faithful. David doesn't just make a mistake. David makes colossal mistakes. He not only commits adultery, but he has one of his best friends, the the husband of the woman he commits adultery with, has him killed in order to try to hide his sin. And yet God says, I love David. Because even in David's sin, he returns to the Lord. He weeps, he repents, he receives the discipline from God, and he moves on as king. And because David ruled with righteousness and justice apart from a few tragic moments, God promises to be with David. So Nathan comes to David and says, David, God loves you. You've been asking him to tell you what's the future of your family and your kingdom gonna look like. Here's part of that conversation. 2 Samuel 7, verse 11. The Lord declares to you, again, this is Nathan to David on God's behalf. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. In other words, David, when you're long gone, don't worry about it. You will continue to have a kingdom Stick with me. Verse 12, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, when you're dead, David, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood. I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Does that sound familiar? I will be his father, and he will be my son. 
For years, people thought maybe this was going to be Solomon because Solomon, eventually, one of David's sons, becomes king and he becomes a very wealthy king. In fact, he wrote good portions of the Bible because of his wisdom that the Lord gave him. But Solomon, his kingdom did not last forever. In fact, his kingdom isn't even really set up today. His own son, Rehoboam, turned away from the Lord, <coughs> Excuse me, split the kingdom of Israel into two camps and then eventually was killed. He was not a good dude. Either God lied, Nathan lied, or it wasn't Solomon. So then who was it? Well, number one, let's clarify something. Prophecy tells us who God is, what God's like, and what he wants to do in the world. So we know who God is. He can't ever be wrong. If God is wrong, then he's no better than you or me. Either he's always right, or we can't trust him. Number two, if God can do what we call predictive prophecy, then that means he can know the future before it happens. This is what sets the God of the Bible apart from any other religion in the world. In fact, God is so strong on this point that he says, if somebody ever claims to speak on my behalf and what they say does not come true, they are a liar. In fact, he even goes so far as to basically say, kill them. In the Old Testament, because I will not allow people to be deceived by the enemy and by lies. If I speak, you say exactly what I tell you to say. It doesn't matter if you like it or not. But if I don't speak, you stay silent. This is so important for understanding what's going on. Because as you hear what Nathan said to David, roughly a thousand years. Do you know what happened a thousand years ago? 1,080. That's about the time gap between David and Jesus. And Nathan is speaking to David saying one day this, and this angel shows up and now saying, Mary, this poor little girl in this little town, this, you know, nobody cared about, forgotten about girl. And the angel looks at her and says, today, all of that is coming true through you. Well done. That would have been terrifying. What? I, I, I don't know that I can handle that. I don't know that I'm good enough. I don't know that I'm good I, 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 Are you sure about this? Not only does um, Nathan say that to David, but many, 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 many other texts build on this. In fact, let me just show you one more, just to give you an idea. This would have been roughly 700 years before uh, Jesus shows up on the scene. This comes from Psalm 89, Psalm 89, verse one. It says this, I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. So what is the psalmist saying? The way that we know that God is good is we tell the next generation what God did in us. So parents, you tell your kids. Grandparents, you tell your grandkids. If they're still around and you're a great-grandparent, you tell your great-grandkids. And they will pass on the story of God, both of what they heard from you and what they've experienced for themselves. And we keep telling the story of the goodness of God. But then notice what the psalmist builds on. Verse 2, I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. So the psalmist, 300 years after Nathan told David what God was going to do, he's reminding the people and he's reminding God, remember you said. So God, I trust you. You're good. God, I trust you. You're faithful. God, I know you're going to do this. I don't know when. I don't know how. But I know you promised David that you were going to establish his throne for all generations, forever. He was going to have an eternal kingdom. In other words, God, I'm waiting on you. I trust you, but where are you? But God made a covenant. And a covenant is not a contract. 
See, a covenant is based on who God is. A contract is based on who you are. See, in a contract, when you and another person make an agreement and one of you breaks the contract, you know in the contract, see, I'm out because you didn't keep your end of the bargain. I'm out, or you're out because I didn't keep my end of the bargain. With a covenant, God's putting his own name and his own blood on the line, and he's saying, you know what? I'm gonna keep my word because I'm good and I'm faithful even when you're faithless and you aren't good. And the psalmist is simply saying, God, we know that this is who you are. You've revealed this to us. But then notice, he jumped down to verse 25. Then notice this. He says, I will set his hand over the sea. He's now speaking about this coming king. His right hand over the rivers. He's going to literally rule the entire earth. He will call out to me, you are my father, my God, the rock, my savior. And I will appoint him to be my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. This is why Paul later in the New Testament says, we are like brothers and sisters to Jesus. He was the firstborn above, above or among many. He was the first to come to follow God faithfully, to die on a cross, to raise from the dead, to birth a new family, and that's us, to draw us into himself that God might have a relationship, a family, a kingdom on earth. And then he says, right here, verse 28, and I will maintain my love to him forever, and my covenant with him will never fail. The angel is showing up to let Mary know this simple truth. God is loving and faithful. He will do all he said he would do, and he is inviting you into his story. I've been at work for thousands of years, Mary, long before you showed up on the scene. I was leading your great, 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 keep going, grandfather, and I made a promise to him because I always keep my word. Mary, I'm here to fulfill that promise, and I've chosen you. Wow. Wow. Like, why, is, why, why should I care about all this stuff? Because I want to anchor your soul in who God is. I want to try to maybe convince some of you, you've been standing on the outside looking at God, and you're not sure that you could trust him. I want to convince you today, maybe, that you can trust him. There are over 300 prophecies that come true in the life and the ministry of Jesus. Over 300. Now, just real quick, just to give you an idea how prophecy works, right? So how many of you could predict the two teams that are going to the Super Bowl this year? You've got a lot of data. You know which teams are really good. You know which teams, the Patriots, you really want to lose. Now, what would you hear me say? You know, whoever they are, right? You know the two teams you would pick. Can you tell me who the two teams are and what the final score is going to be? Can you tell me how many yards uh, the quarterback is going to have on each team. Each team is running back. Can you give me that many details? Because here's the thing. If you were to take even just one prophecy about Jesus, just one prophecy about Jesus, and you give the time that it took between when the prophecy is made and when it's fulfilled, the language changes that took place over time, the cultural changes that took place over time, the fact that these were done in sometimes different areas and people groups and things that happened in history, and just for one of them clearly to come true, Things like where he would be born. Things about like what he would accomplish. That he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. But how about some of these pieces of the story? That he would be from David's line and so on and so forth. The odds of just one of them coming true, do you know what it is? A guy named Peter Stoner wrote a book called Science Speaks where he calculated the odds of just one. He's a mathematician. I'm not no math and Bible college. You don't have to trust me. Trust him. Here's what he said. The odds are one in 10 to the 17th power. And if you don't know what that looks like, here's what it looks like. 
One zero 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 zero. That's the odds. Way less odds than winning the lottery. Not even close. Go ahead and buy lottery tickets. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Don't waste your money. Now there are over 300 of these that came true. So Peter went on further and he said, "Well, what if we didn't do? Because 300, the number is so big, it's mind-boggling." Here's the thing, when in the math world, my son loves math, he's nine years old, he's a savant, and he studies big numbers. He watches these videos on YouTube and then comes and tells me about them and then writes them down. You can ask anybody who's watching my kids, it's like, oh my gosh, I just learned stuff today, because he'll tell you all about it. So at some point, we came up with a number called Google. Have you ever heard of Google? Google is not just a website. Google took their name from the number Google, but they then changed the spelling. This is G-O-O-G-U-L, Google. So the point of Google was some mathematician sat around and he was trying to figure out like a really big number. And at the time, he created the biggest possible number that you could calculate. Because when you get outside of a certain point, like you, you have to have something to compare it to to wrap your brain around. So just give you an idea. If you were to count a number every second of your life from the day you were born to the day you die, and let's just say you lived 80 years, Let's just say, you know, when you're at one, two, three, you can easily do that. When you get to like, you know, 459,000, you know, 499, that took like two seconds to say. Imagine when you get into the millions and into the billions. In fact, if you were to do that and never take a break, never sleep, never eat, never drink, you would barely get into the billions. Just to give you an idea of how big numbers are, we start talking about them. Google is a one with a hundred zeros. That's what a Google is. So Google, Google later and you'll see this, Okay. The odds of 48 of these prophecies coming true in Jesus Christ, 48 out of 300, is one to the 10 with a Google and a half zeros. Here's what that looks like. And yes, I counted them. That's roughly 157 zeros. 48 out of over 300. Why is it a big deal that the angel has come to Mary and said these things? Because the angel is letting Mary know what you need to know today. You ready? God is good. God is faithful. And you can trust him. He is who he says he is. He has done what he said he will do. He will continue to do what he says he will do. And as Jesus says later in the book of Luke, but when the Son of Man returns to the earth, will he find faith? In the midst of hardship and suffering and persecution, will he still find faith? Luke chapter one, verse 34. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, you know, since I'm a virgin? It's a reasonable question. She didn't have somebody just do the math for her. Verse 35, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God, literally. This is gonna come through Joseph. See, the connection here is last week we looked at Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah had to finish serving in the temple and then go home and make a baby with Elizabeth. That's not gonna be the case here, Mary. You're betrothed. You're a virgin. This has never happened before. This is God performing a miracle. And some of you, I know, you may be sitting there watching online later on down the road going, come on. Do people really believe this is possible? Look, when I see 48 prophecies coming true in Jesus and the odds are one to a Google and a half, like, 
Yeah, I believe this is possible. Why do I believe that? You can call me a fool. You can call me an idiot. You can call me naive. You can call me any name you want. But when I look at the evidence, I have every reason to believe that God is powerful enough. It's a good question, Mary. The answer is, God is doing this. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. In fact, this is powerful. Look at this, verse 36. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. Predictive prophecy. When Gabriel told Zechariah last week, earlier in this chapter, your wife is going to be pregnant, even though she's well past the years of having kids. Your wife is going to be pregnant. God has heard your prayers, and he's going to bless you. That was predictive prophecy. It hadn't happened yet. So what he just did, notice this, he just anchored Mary's soul to predictive prophecy. Mary, <laughs> it was about six months or so ago, I was standing before Zechariah, and I told him that his wife was going to be pregnant. It hadn't happened yet. And yet, she's six months pregnant today. In other words, you can trust God because when he predicts the future and it comes true, it reveals he's trustworthy. Mary is just as trustworthy to you as he was to her. For no word from God will ever N.T. Wright and Luke for Everyone says, <clears throat> when God takes the initiative, it is always a matter of love. Love which will care for us and take us up into his saving purposes. And Mary gets that. In spite of the anxieties, in spite of the risks, in spite of the costs. I mean, Mary had every reason to go, but you know what this is gonna mean? Everybody's gonna mock me. They might even try to kill me. I'm gonna be ostracized. Do you realize the pain of believing what you're saying, Gabriel? Instead, she doesn't say any of that. She doesn't even worry about any of that. This is in the hands of the Lord. My job in this moment is only to be faithful. And her response, verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. The difference between Mary and Zechariah is Zechariah has weak, delayed faith. Mary does not. Mary's question is not one of a lack of faith. It's more like, I'm a little confused as to how this is going to work because, you know, I've been told my whole life about how it works, and it seems like this isn't how it works. Her, her question is not one of God, can God? It's a question of how is God? Zechariah's is a question of, I'm not sure I believe that this is even possible. And when the angel clarifies for Mary how it's going to happen, her response is, let it be. Let it be. This is why Jesus later, when he teaches the disciples how to pray, he'll say, pray like this. God, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what he means is, see, in heaven, people don't argue with God. They don't bicker with God. They don't negotiate with God. They go, God, I'll do it your way as long as you do it my way first. Or God, I just want to make a suggestion about how you need to change your plan, God. I think your plan will work better if you try it this way, which is what we do all the time. Who would have guilted Mary if she had tried that? God, I'm, I'm all in on this plan, God. I think that's great. Can I get married first? That's going to save me a lot of pain and sacrifice. Instead, her answer is, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh, that we would pray that way. 
Again, N.T. Wright says this. Mary is, to that extent, the supreme example of what always happens when God is at work by grace through human beings. God's power from outside and the indwelling spirit within together result in things being done which would have been unthinkable in any other way. Maybe, maybe nothing else. Maybe this is the one thing you get from today. When you trust God with the impossible, God can turn it into the possible. When you trust God with the impossible, God can turn it into the possible. So, question. What is going on in your life that seems impossible? It seems like a hill too high to climb, a wall too steep to scale. It seems so impenetrable, so difficult, so impossible that if a miracle doesn't happen, it's not going to happen. Do you trust that God is who he says he is? He could do what he says he will do, and he is with you. What I want to do is I want to invite you into that story right now. We're going to sing a song, and while we're singing that song, look, some of you today, you just need to do some business with God. You've heard the gospel story shared, you know that God loves you. But you need to respond to that love. Here's how. Look, if you're here today and you've never taken the step of coming forward and saying, I want to give my life to Jesus. May his kingdom come and may his will be done. I wanna invite you to do that today. Today. The rest of us, are gonna sing and praise God for his faithfulness and his love and that he always comes through and shows up on time. But listen, if today you're hearing God's voice calling you to himself, don't harden your heart and turn away from him. Instead, surrender, come to him and let him lead 